The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Happy Monday. Happy Victory Monday to everybody out there. This is the Orange and Black Insiders. The aftermath, uh, breaking down the, the what happened the day prior. Bengals beat the Ravens in the season finale. It wasn't the prettiest game. It wasn't uh, the, the most chummy of affairs between the two teams. But uh, Bengals get the win. They avoid the coin toss. And now they head into the playoffs with an eight-game winning streak. Uh, obviously a little bit of an asterisk with everything that happened Monday night, but regardless, Bengals are in the postseason. Damar Hamlin is showing a lot of good health progress, so that's always a good thing. The league showed a lot of good support for him this weekend. I'm Anthony Cazenza, and I'm joined by my my partner, my partner in crime, PIC, John Sheeran. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Damar Hamlin's doing well. No, he's he's back home. He's, he's in Buffalo General awesome. Hospital. He's been discharged from UCMC. He gave a shout-out. To all the fine doctors and everyone there for taking care of him for the past week. But yep. he was on a plane today from Cincinnati to Buffalo. He's back home. He's still getting taken care of. So my hat is literally off to everyone at UCMC for taking care yeah, of him. For and sure. for just just how great these past few days have been for him. And then him getting to watch uh, the Buffalo Bills game and seeing everything that happened with that. Live tweeting through it all. It was, it was, it was phenomenal. So fantastic news. Yeah, a little bit of a storybook game there for uh, everything that had transpired. And, you know, they took the opening kickoff back and the whole deal. A lot of a lot of cool vibes from that one. And that game also did have implications for the Bengals and seeding and all that kind of stuff, too. So I think not only were we keeping an eye on that for DeMar Hamlin and hoping good things develop there, but obviously a, a little bit of a football interest there as well. And football was interesting this weekend, John Sheeran. The Bengals hosted the Baltimore Ravens. The coin toss was... And first of all, what you what you think of the what you think of the Joe Mixon celebration? I think I think quite honestly, it looked like there was maybe four or five guys that probably had a coin in their glove or their sock or something like that already ready to go. So whoever was going to score that touchdown was going to do it. Uh, what'd you think? <laughs> what'd you think of uh, the the celebration there by Mixon? 
Well, I I could tell by Tyler Boyd's reaction because he was like an inch short of finding the end zone himself, and obviously he's he, he's boys with Hamlin. I f- I feel like he probably had a celebration. You want to honor Hamlin with that as well, but also like yeah, I think they were all kind of in on you know kind of sticking to the NFL. So that would be cool if he got to not only you know honor Hamlin but also be the one. To, to do like the coin flip celebration but yeah i guess they're just playing with with coins in their gloves i, I don't know i don't know if i can't speak for the other uh guys who may or may not have had coins on hand at, at that time but mixon said yeah i just kind of thought about it, like last night and like when chad johnson mentioned it on twitter and he didn't wasn't really sure where to put the coin he was like put, put it in his ankle tape or something but that wasn't really going to work <laughs> out but it just was just rattling around between his hand and his glove I, I i would imagine you probably don't really notice it that much when you're running with the ball but as soon as as soon as he scored you could see him like rushing to, to take the glove off and then do the whole thing but it, it was awesome it was it was awesome it was funny and obviously there were some other you saw eli apple uh grab a sign at the end i, I think that was maybe from a fan i saw a fan on twitter say hey that was my sign a fan uh, named eli Oh, was it? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't catch that. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, yeah, he grabbed that. And I think there were some others there that uh, I saw Bengal Jim talk about, some that were maybe taken away or taken down or what have you. Um, anyway, it was uh, there were some definite vibes around Paycor Stadium this week. And let's just talk about this. Bengals win 27-16. I think we were all kind of hoping this game would have gotten to a point, especially with the Ravens kind of resting a handful of their guys where the Bengals could do that. And unfortunately that wasn't really ever too much the case. Uh, I guess you wanted to knock off some rust from not playing a full game the week prior, but um, you know, now the Bengals kind of were forced to play their guys well into that game. And unfortunately it cost them. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit in the form of the Alex Kappa injury, but uh, your overall impressions with the Bengals win against the Ravens at Paycor this last Sunday. It's really hard to find an AFC North game that ends up looking pretty. Like, I guess last year's Ravens game at home is the exception to that. But, I mean, we all know why the Ravens couldn't really put up a fight last year. This year was not exactly the same because while you had a few Ravens on offense who didn't play, J.K. Dobbins, Mark Andrews, Kevin Zeidler, they were held out of the game because they didn't want to risk injury. Most, if not everyone on defense was out there for Baltimore. I think aside from Marcus Peters, who um, was on the injury report, so he may or may not have been able to play in this game at all. But they had Clayus Campbell out there. They had their full front seven. They had most of their mm-hmm. secondary, Kyle Hamilton, in his new role as their slot cornerback. So they were, like, you know, strapped to the teeth to hold back the Bengals' offense. And at the beginning, they were having some issues with that. And it kind of seemed like the Bengals were doing what they could to build a comfortable lead in the beginning of the game and then slowly grind out the game, keep them, you know... Be- beyond a, a two-score uh, deficit and difference to just make sure that, you know, the game is pretty much in hand at all times. And that, for the most part, was the case because they got a ton of help from their defense. So, like, forcing yep. four turnovers is always a recipe for success, especially against a third-string quarterback making his first start. But it never really seemed to be that comfortable. In fact, as the game progressed on, it just became more and more uncomfortable for how the Ravens were keeping close with the Bengals because of how much success they had rushing the ball and the fact that the Bengals offense just wasn't it it just didn't seem like they were trying very hard towards the end and that was probably by design they didn't want to give away too much in this game knowing that they were going to face the same defense next and I feel like with that there's only so much you can do to hide it because this is a division rival. this is the second time you've played them this year this is the sixth time you've played them in the Joe Burrow era like they have so much tape on you just from playing them, but also just 
studying them all throughout the season because they're division rivals. Like no one knows this Bengals offense better than any team in the AFC North, including the Ravens. So like in terms of hiding what you're going to do or what you're probably planning to do in the, in the wildcard round, I, there's only so much that you can do while fielding an offense that can move the ball down the field. But like that just wasn't the case in the second half. Drew Christman had a career high of seven punts because of it, because like the Ravens were just like, they were just stout on defense and they, they were putting the cap on the Bengals offense. And it didn't help that Burrow was clearly not, uh, hitting on all cylinders down the down the field, there were a handful of misses that that we can definitely take a look at in this game, and that was definitely part of it. So I, I don't put it all on not you know calling a full game from a playbook standpoint. There were definitely misses that had the Bengals hit, they would have had a better offensive day. So I think it was just kind of a worst of two worlds, right? It, it was not exactly opening the playbook, but also they weren't executing very well with the things that they were trying to do, anyways. They were not, uh, and let's let's take a look at here's. And I guess this is what I want to ask you about before we kind of show this stuff. I mean, you, you mentioned that the the Baltimore defense was pretty much fully stocked in terms of who they played, who they trotted out there, and whatnot, which is true. Um, we know that they have developed into a very scary defense, especially with Roquan Smith Smith now being added to the mix there. So, I mean they they can they can get after it a little bit on that side of the ball for sure, and they need to because this team regardless if it's Tyler Huntley or, uh, you know, whoever is playing quarterback. Um, uh, they had some decent games with Lamar early in the season, but even with him, I mean, they were sc- struggling to get to 20 points in a lot of games this year. So, uh, and, and that has especially been the case since he has been injured. So, you know, that defense has had to perform. So I guess with some of the struggles that you, um, that we witnessed yesterday. I mean, are you, are you chalking that up to strictly a bad day on offense, a really good day on defense? Um, Because, you know, you mentioned, you know, they kind of went into a shell a little bit and I think everybody said, yeah, they went pretty vanilla towards the end of the game, but uh, you know, second half, there were still some shots that they took and they were there. Uh, They, 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 you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the, a couple of the T Higgins that were just missed. Um, And so I don't know your take, your take on some of the struggles that we saw on offense yesterday. Well, I definitely think they can play better on offense, but I like I'm just gonna say right now, I think this is the toughest defense that they're going to play in the postseason based off of their projected path to get out of the AFC. I, I guess when I say postseason, I just mean the AFC side of the playoffs. Like this Ravens defense, it gave them fits earlier in the season when they were still finding themselves. And I feel like even with how much the Bengals offense has, has evolved since that point in October. Like this is a defense that still works really well together and not, and is obviously intimately familiar with what, with what the Bengals tried to do well. So I think their defense matches up pretty, pretty nicely from, from a secondary to a receiver standpoint, their defensive line is always very tough to figure out when they're blitzing and when they're dropping back. Like the, there was those moments early in the game when Burrow, I think, by the end of the first quarter, he had evaded like four sacks. He had evaded like 10 total defenders, all basically from like the effort of his own pocket awareness and mobility and agility. And that was probably the best thing that Burrow did on Sunday was just evading pressure and extending plays, whether that was, you know, turning out six yards to get that uh, rush off that incredible scramble or uh, evading a couple sackers in the pocket to find Tyler Boyd down the middle of the field on, on what looked like a no-look pass. So there were plenty of positive moments from him from his perspective uh, in this game, but in terms of accuracy, like, like we're seeing on the screen here, like he had Teagans a couple times down the field. One of them was for a touchdown off of a fake screen that they had set up the entire game, but yeah, they had, I got that one coming up. Yeah. And then they ran like, I, I think like five or six more wide receiver screens in this game. And maybe one this of them one. was successful. So they were, they were trying to attack 
you know, uh, the, the widths of this Ravens defense, and they were pretty much on top of it for most of the game. So I think the Ravens defense is really good. I think they're going to be really good next week, especially when they get some of these guys back, and the Bengals offense just needs to play better. Yeah, the first one to T. Higgins that you saw, if you're watching the video feed, that one was uh, almost in the fourth quarter. That was at the very end of the third quarter. And this one is at the very beginning of the game, scoreless. Uh, they had six here. They had six on the other one, too. So, I mean, you saw you see that one to Jamar uh, that they tipped away. Very good play by Worley on that one, by the way. Uh, and here's the, here's the fake screen, which I thought was a really cool little play. Uh, they set up a fake screen and kind of did, was it like a wheel route with T, or did you just kind of a go route a little bit up the sideline? Um, and so I thought this was a really cool play design. That's six right there, right? Uh, and then you look at uh, you look at this one over here. Let's scroll that one over. This is just one that you kind of feel like down the seam. Uh, there, there's you got you got Boyd there. So that's another one that you feel like you kind of miss some yardage at least there. Uh, I think I've got a couple more that I can loop in as well uh, with with this too. But I mean that's that's kind of a little bit of what, what we've seen so far from, or what we saw yesterday, rather that there was just a lot of, they, they took some shots uh, and they were there and, and granted they have taken shots in the past against this Ravens secondary, maybe not this, uh, this year so much with, with some of the new bodies that they brought in there and new talent they brought in the secondary there. But I mean, last year they were kind of bombs away and bombs away kind of late against the Ravens uh, in some of those games. So um, I mean, they've they've taken some shots, and so they had that they had the opportunities here. They just missed them. Yeah, it's it's a matter of between like forcing it or just picking your spots and just missing. And it's more of the latter compared to the former. It wasn't like the Ravens were just forcing the Bengals to just play you know small ball in these in these quick and short passes. No, like there were opportunities, there were windows, there were vacancies down the field for these big plays to be to be had. And they just couldn't connect on basically any of them. I feel like the the, the first miss to Chase was probably the most egregious because he had just stacked all those guys. I think like three different defenders on that play, and Burrow just underthrew because I don't think he could, he could step in front of it. And then obviously the defense, he goes downfield. Sorry, I think that's uh, looping in some sound there, but um, yeah, I mean this one here you can see. Let's pull it up so we can get a zoom in. And I think I think this one does have sound on it, so I apologize, but. Uh, this is the one that I, I think T took a, a hit to the chops here. Unfortunately, Actually, he was Burrow, he was okay, but by the defense, it goes downfield I mean, and it is in. That's a deep in one fit. where you go. Well, I mean, there's more yards there that you kind of felt like you could have had there and, and set yourself up for more points. And then, of course, this one was in the first quarter as well. Uh, the Boyd play, who he also kind of took one to the chops and just he, you know that's just one you drop it in the bucket there and he just sailed it. Um, and you feel like these are the plays that end up. Uh, you know, you can't make every single play. I mean, especially against this defense, but I mean, going into next week, these are the types of plays that you're going to need to make most of them. I think if you're going to, if you're going to walk away victorious, there's definitely a difference. I think, um, because looking back at this, at this bills game that is now erased from the ether, like people remember from that, like Burrow was just like, he was on time. He was in rhythm. The offense was just, it, it was operating at, a, at an efficient rate for the two drives that they had. And it was pretty much the opposite with this one. Like, like they could move the ball from here and there. Burrow did make some really good plays in and out of the pocket, but there were even some short throws that were just off timed and they were just inaccurate. There were some out routes that I know that he wishes he could have back. There were a couple of drops, I think specifically from T Higgins himself that he knows that you know, he probably could have, on any on, on any other day so it, it was just an off day i think for some of these guys against the defense that is used to having some success against this offense from, from here and there so 
I, I do still think at the end of the day that the Ravens defense is really good and that needs to be taken into context with this. Like there's a standard and expectation with the Bengals offense. And I feel like that is something that's going to carry into this next week in terms of how to get better. But no, the Ravens defense is still good and they should still hang their hats on, you know, keeping the offense to one of its worst days in recent memory. Yeah, and uh, you see Brad here on Facebook saying short and emotional week. The offense will be fine. I think Edith in the face in uh, the Cincinnati Jungle Facebook page is also kind of saying uh, the same thing here. So, I mean, I, I get that. It's just, you know, it's a little worrisome. This is stuff that you kind of feel like, well, you know, maybe this is more early season kind of issues and, and you figure they would work it out at the end here. And it's kind of a little bit vice versa and especially troubling when you play this team again the next week, but regardless, the Bengals get the win and do so with a little bit of everything, some good punting, uh, a couple big plays on offense, a couple nice plays on offense, uh, some really good punting by Drew Chrisman, uh, exceptional defense, including his score on defense. And John, I think one of the things that we are seeing a bit now, granted some of his stats have come against, you know, maybe backup quarterbacks or whatnot, but having another ancillary weapon in the edge rush department and Joseph Osai and him just kind of being there doing a couple things in relief, particularly when you have Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard potentially not all the way at 100%. Joseph Osai in there doing contributing, obviously had the touchdown on the fumble recovery, but also had pressures. I think he had a sack as well. So that is good to see from a developmental standpoint and getting that guy, uh, getting his confidence going and getting him a, a nice niche role in this defense. It's an underrated part of how this defense can continue to stay, not, not to stay afloat, but really dominate in the way that they did during last year's playoff run. Like if you had told me that Trey Hendrickson would rush the passer like 15, 18 times this game and they would still end up with four sacks, like I would, I would find that incredibly impressive because Hendrickson has mainly been the primary source of them getting sacks these past two years. Now, Sam Hubbard has taken a great step in that regard this year. And this was his first game back and it looked like they weren't easing him back at all. He was out there for, I think 85% of the snaps in this one. So, you know, he, he looked like he was back to his normal self, but Trey Hendrickson still in this limited role as his wrist heals and giving Joseph Asai so many, you know, added reps that he didn't have early in the season. And they're still gaining a ton of production on a personal basis from Trey Hendrickson. It's a great uh, storm that's brewing with that defensive line, getting production from multiple guys now. And they're not just relying on just Hendrickson, just winning on third down. Yeah. So Andy's talking about, you know, the third and one fourth and short issues that they had in this one that, you know, that was definitely something that you also have to look at. And then playing into all of this is the Alex Kappa injury. And that one to me was pretty unfortunate because it's a third and one, you got a big lead and I understand, you know, you know, you like to take that shot deep, but now you look at it and you go, you know, you kind of had this one a little bit sewn up, even with that play. And now, you know, Kappa gets rolled up on, I guess, thankfully, we have to say, thankfully, it's an ankle and not a knee. Um, but right now, it, it sounds like, you know, that I think people are asking for updates on him and whatnot. The update that we received from Zach earlier today via the beat writers and media uh, coverage there. The update that we have is obviously there's an ankle issue and he says he's doing okay, but he says it could be hard to envision him playing something to this effect. I'm paraphrasing, but something, something essentially to the effect of it. He sees it hard for him to potentially be able to play this Sunday. And that is a big, big hit to the offensive line. Cause all of a sudden now, I mean, whether it's a week or, or the, the whole postseason or whatever, um, you know, all of a sudden now you're looking at the right side of that 
offensive line that you spent re- the offseason revamping now, uh, you know, at least at least gone for this one coming up. Just terrible timing, honestly. It was it was so late in the game too. I think it was like it was right after uh, T Higgins got injured, or you know, he went to the ground taking a shot to the chest. And that's, it was at that's the end of the third I quarter. Like, yeah, yeah. That's when I felt like th- this game is just stupid at this point. The Ravens are just flinging themselves at these guys, and like someone's going to get hurt. Now with with Kappa's injury, it was a lot like Leo Collins's injury. It looked like his knee got rolled up on just from an unfortunate circumstance and you can't really blame the opposition for that guys are just playing football but it's like yeah this game has been really physical it's been really chippy you don't want to see one of your main guys go down and be unavailable for the playoffs and that looked to be the case when kappa went down and he could barely get off the field under his own power and that's when i'm like man this this freaking sucks like like i know this (laughs) game is probably a win and everything but like god this is is the one thing that you don't want to see happen you didn't want to win that way you know with that stuff going on yeah yeah like, like you knew that at the end of the day, the Ravens knew that they were they weren't going to win. They they wanted to be as competitive as possible to keep the Bengals starters out there for as long as possible and mission accomplished. And they ended up getting one of their best offensive linemen hurt. And now you're down to a right side of the line that I think is still better than it was at this time last year. But still, it, it's still down to your reserves. You're still losing two of your best run blockers. You're losing the chemistry that you have between those guys. And now Ted Karras has to work with a new right guard who we can talk about in a little bit. But even still, it, it's still not where you want to be. Yeah, and credit to our, our boy Willie Lutz on Twitter. He noted that his replace, Kappa's replacement, Max Sharping, via PFF, scored uh, pretty pretty decently through a quarter's worth of work. Um, now, granted, I mean, that game was kind of in hand and all that kind of stuff uh, at, at that point. So I don't know how much stock you can take into it, but that was a nice contingency plan piece that they grabbed in Max Sharping, a guy who's got a lot of starting experience he and was decent as a starter, wasn't great, but was decent at times and, and has a lot of starting experience and a guy that has some versatility and you like that. So I, you know, if Kappa cannot go, by the way, didn't Alex Kappa play on like a freaking broken leg last year or something like that at one point in the past. So uh, not to say that, Hey, he's got to go Sunday, you know, but I mean, the guy has champed through some gnarly injuries before. Uh, so I don't want to write him off completely, but w- with the way Zach was talking about him on uh, Monday here, it was a, a little bleak, but regardless, Sharping is a nice contingency plan. I, I think you said, you know, we could talk about him a little bit. Uh, if you've got some thoughts on it, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I like Max Sharping. I- I've liked him ever since he came out of college of Northern Illinois back in 2019. I thought he was a great pick in the second round by the Houston Texans. He played all over the line down there because the, the Texans are and continue to be a mess. Um, but, you know, I, I thought he was okay as <laughs> yeah. a starter. And the the whole situation with him getting waived and claimed and, and whatnot, like, I, it, it was a case where I think the Texans wanted to bring him back in some capacity, but they just had some roster decisions to make. And his contract situation at the time where he was waived, the Bengals ended up having more space than I think other teams who wanted to claim him and or or just wanted to pick him up just as a free agent if he was unclaimed off waivers so the Bengals ended up uh getting him and I think like you talked about like a a very fine first guard off the bench that you could have and you don't want it to be in this situation where his first start is in the playoffs against a really good defensive line a defensive line that knows the Bengals and their blocking scheme very well but this is just the hand that you're dealt with and I think Max Sharping is fine as as a starter as a starting guard he's not Alex Kappa that's should be very clear like he's not necessarily a starter in this league but as a guy that can just 
you can keep you afloat at that spot, I think he's fine. He's not he's not going to be a disaster. Yeah. He's not going to he's not going to miss a ton of blocks. He's not going to get pulverized necessarily. But there's a reason why you know he he was released by the Texans. There's a reason why he's been on the bench. There's a reason why they didn't even bother having him compete with Cordo Wilson at left guard. I, th- I thought that that was a potential story that could have developed right after he got claimed because we just weren't sure what Volson was going to be, but they wanted Volson in that spot and they've just had Sharping just be this this reserve, this active reserve for the entire year. And it, it's good that he's practiced with the team. He's good. He's been with the team for all this time. So he's got these reps. He's gotten familiarity with what that spot is is expected him to do. So we'll see. I, I think he's okay, but until he's out there and playing, we won't know for sure. Well, Bengals beat the Ravens 27 to 16, by the way, in some forms, uh, depending on which source you may have looked at in terms of lines and all that kind of stuff. The line was, from what I saw, about 11 and a half right before kickoff. Uh, Bengals win by 11. So I always look at that and just kind of, hmm, okay. Uh, regardless, Bengals get a nice win. There were some kind of casualties, I guess, in the form of Kappa getting injured, but for the most part, they stayed pretty healthy. They are getting healthy at the right time, and now they have a rematch against a team here. And before we get into our next segment, John, just real quickly, your thoughts on the Bengals facing this team a third time? I know this one was a little weird because some players were playing, some players weren't. You know, it it was kind of a weird mindset that both teams had to employ into this one, but uh, I, I always get a little leery you know, when a team, when you have to play a team three times in one season, that's a difficult task. It is at home, which is good news. And, you know, they're coming off of a win just a week prior. But uh, as we said, this is, this is a tough matchup for them. I think this is personally speaking, I think this is one of the tougher matchups they could have drawn um, throughout the playoffs. But uh, at the same time, familiarity either is your best friend or your worst enemy. It's going to be both. I think, on Sunday because like in terms of tape study, film study and all that stuff, like, like they know what to expect. They know what this Ravens defense is. They saw all of it on Sunday. Like the Ravens weren't holding back defensively. They wanted to grind out a a game win or loss, whatever the case may be. And they wanted to just give the Bengals all they got. And they certainly, they certainly did give that. So, you know, the Bengals are very familiar with what to expect and that that will go into the preparation this week. And I, I stand by it. Like this defense is arguably the best, most toughest defense that they're going to face on this side of, mm-hmm. of the playoff bracket. And I feel like that definitely forges a lot of toughness and confidence going forward. If they were to get past it. Now, if the game is ugly on Sunday, which I, I wouldn't be surprised if it is, then it is what it is. We, we don't need to, continue being I guess concerned about the offense because the defense matches up really well with them and all they have to do is just grind out another win and then we can focus on if this offense is going to take the next step against defenses that are a little bit more lenient to go up against well we'll we'll definitely be talking a lot of Ravens wild card weekend throughout the week here and I love when our listeners first of all we have a lot of new we got a lot of people tuning in live which is awesome across multiple platforms whether it's on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page our YouTube channel on Twitter, we got a lot of live viewers right now, obviously getting things going before the national championship game going here. A lot of new faces as well, and I love when our uh, listeners and, and viewers tee things up here. You got Don, who uh, he says, hey, guys, I've been a longtime Bengals fan, and I am of the Kenny Anderson and Boomer Esiason era. Well, Don, we uh, we are trying to get a treat for you with all of the coverage we are bringing 
this week. Uh, we are working to try and bring Ken Anderson on the program once again. So you will not want to miss that. We're working with him. We've, uh, we're set to speak with Mike Golick of ESPN and many other platform fame on Friday. So we're excited about that. We're working to get Daniel Wilcox, former Ravens tight end and now believe in Ravens podcast host. Uh, working to get him in later this week. So we've we've got a lot of different stuff we're trying to do for this week. And then hopefully as the weeks progress through the postseason, get you more more people on uh, on this show as well. And then just a big week in general for Cincy Jungle and its podcast channel. John, I don't know if you heard, but uh, our, our guy Bangle Jim is having Andrew Whitworth on his show tomorrow night. So that'll be a really fun one as well. You got to you got to tune into that. And of course, you can get our show and all of the Cincy Jungle podcast shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major platforms. We are there. And if you like what we do on YouTube, you can, uh, beneath John and that SB Nation logo there, you can click our show logo to subscribe. Click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. And we've got memberships where we'll have exclusive perks and swag and all that kind of stuff for you too, if you feel so inclined to do that. But we're going to keep hammering you with content, especially as these Bengals continue on, hopefully, throughout the post season. The other thing right here, and this leads us nicely into our next, our next segment here, John, uh, I don't know if nicely is, is actually the right word for it, but we're going to do a little believe it or not here. And it centers around some of the actions and reactions of Bengals and Ravens players. So let's get to a believe it or not about the style of play from the Baltimore Ravens that we witnessed on Sunday. What we saw, and I'll pull up some clips. I'll pull up some clips. Um, there, there's, there's some talk, John, and I, I think it was an uh, article on the Athletic from Jay Morrison and Paul Diener Jr. that you know referenced some of the players being not pleased with the type of play that the Baltimore Raven Ravens uh, enacted on Sunday. Um, I'll play some clips. I saw some things that I did not like. I saw some after the whistle stuff. I feel like just personally, and I'd love to get your take on it, but personally, um, I feel like they flirted with the line. I don't know that they really egregiously crossed a line in their in their style of play. A lot of the hits and, and whatnot that we saw, I mean, I, we, I played one earlier with T. Higgins kind of taking one of the chops there. That's a legal hit. I mean, he was maybe defenseless a bit there, so if you really wanted to call that, you could do that. Um, but it wasn't head hunting. It wasn't that. There was some stuff, though, that was close. Um, and there was some stuff that I was like, eh, I don't really like that. Um, so I'll play some of this stuff, John, but with what you saw, and, and by the way, if you follow us on Twitter, I put some, we put some of these clips out on our Twitter account and that's where we're going to show them for you. Uh, obviously we're, we're catching flack from Ravens fans saying, you know, Bengals fans and their players are soft and all that kind of stuff. Maybe we should play flag football, the whole deal goes with the territory really wasn't trying to say stuff is dirty. It's more just kind of, here's the stuff that may or may not have pissed the Bengals players off. Just some things we saw. I don't know. I, I just saw some after the whistle stuff that, that that was more of the stuff that I didn't like John or, and, or the kind of some slamming and I don't know, just different stuff like that. I mean, this is what you can do. If you decide to do, you can enter a game and you can set the tone that you want to set and you can see how that's received by the officials, by the other team, 
and you just go from there. And it was clear that the officials just were just yeah. letting these guys play, do what they will. And there's no reason for the Ravens, if this was their plan entering this game, to back down from that because that's ultimately what they, what they wanted to do. Like, again, they knew that they weren't going to win this game with Anthony Brown at quarterback. They knew they weren't going to win with most of their best offensive players on the bench and giving him basically next to no help. They, they were throwing Anthony Brown out to the wolves because their primary goal in this one was just to keep the Bengals starters in there for as long as possible and rough them up for as much as possible so that in a week's time they're coming back and they're potentially, Oh, we're scared to play the big bad Ravens again. They're going to, they're going to punch us in the mouth and they're going to do all these things. Like obviously the Bengals are, aren't really cool with it because like, that's just not how they want to play. And that's regardless of these old tropes of AFC North football and everything like some some things are just still they, they, they make you mad because like hey screw you buddy like I don't want to do this to you but you're doing this to us and yeah yeah we're yeah. not, not going to take that we're not going to take that lightly like and, and either that's going to be responded in the next game or maybe the next season or whatever the case may be like obviously the most important thing is to win the game but some of these guys take this stuff personally and rightfully so like this is this is their livelihood and this is the way that that they want to play the game and and there's obviously disagreement on the other side of the ball so yeah it, it is it wasn't going over the line per se but it was like you know this is just this is just bs like like it's clear why you're doing this and we're just on this field for two different reasons this one was the one that kind of pit and I'll, I'll play a few more for you here this is the one that kind of pissed me off here because of the reaction of their coach you get a slam down here that could have Theoretically, I mean, may or may not have been a penalty, depending, again, on how stringent of an officiating crew you have. And then you have the coach celebrating, you know, celebrating like hell about it. So that that one was the one that I was like, you know, that's just I mean, come on. OK, so we're moving on here. And by the way, if you're listening to the audio side, that's the one with Roquan Smith and Kyle Hamilton uh, throwing chase down on a loss play. You have this one again. This is kind of a football play hits him in the shoulder and chest. Thankfully, Boyd's OK. But the ball's sailing, it's going out of bounds, and you still take one to the chops there. I, I, again, kind of just legal, but is it is it necessary? No, it's uh, to me, it's not it's not necessary. And then what's this next one here? Oh, this uh, oh this one, yeah, right here with Chase. He's he's got a nine yard gain here, and you know as he's going to the ground, Roquan Smith again. By the way, he's ingraining himself very well quickly into the AFC North. Uh, this is one where he kind of wraps around Chase's neck and kind of pulling on his helmet a little bit. Again, it's just kind of like, well, I don't know. Um, obviously, Chase didn't like it, right? And Pirine didn't like it either because he gets right in there and shoves him off him. I, I, I don't know, man. I again, it's I'm kind of with you. It's more it's more about like I don't know. Maybe I'm just old school where I where I think about respect and all this kind of stuff and in sports and all that kind of stuff. And it's like you know I. I wouldn't do that to you. Why are you, you know what I mean? Like I, you kind of said it in a different way. Like I, that's not the way I would do things. Why are you doing that? Especially in a moment where it's like, really, it just kind of looks like you're trying to tee things up one way or the other for the following week, whether it's heightening the, the animosity, getting in your heads, or I don't want to say it, but maybe even potentially hurting important players. Like, and I'm thinking on the other side of this too, like, oh, if you're upset about this, then you know it's the whole like wussy like argument, like, oh, this isn't flag football or anything like that. Like, right. guys, like we, we like we 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 know what this is, and and I think you you said it best, like, uh, like in terms of being unnecessary, like, yeah, like, I, I yeah, I have no more thoughts on this. It, it's it's so like if I'm out there, this this stuff is so beneath me 
because like I know you're doing this because you can't like actually match up from a football standpoint. This is the edge that you're that you've decided to take because you can't have an actual competitive edge. So you're only taking this this tough there you go. this fake this fake tough guy like physical edge that unfortunately the Steelers have also kind of identified with now because again, they can't really match up with the Bengals from from a talent standpoint from actually winning the football game so they have to resort to this. And I know that Bengals and Steelers or Ravens and Steelers fans listening to this are getting mad at like, "Oh, we're the Ravens and Steelers. Like we've always been better than the Bengals. We will continue to be better than the Bengals because because of stuff like this. If you can latch on to this as as your form of success by just roughing and toughening up the opponent, even if even in a loss, if that's the way that you want to go, that's fine. We'll take the wins. Yeah, that's my my take on it too. Take the W. But this this is close. I mean, I you look at it and bang bang, and you're like, oh, that wasn't a big deal. But I mean, look how I think it's Marcus Williams, thirty two, right? Uh, he's kind of just putting the elbow out there and helmet to helmet. I mean, I know Chase is going down and putting his head down to avoid the contact. But I mean, that's there, right? I mean, I, it's, it's, it's fringe. I think it's, and here's, being this is the team by the defense. He goes downfield and it is in we can watch the fake by real quick. being chased here by the defense. Right. He goes down. So I, you know, I don't want to loop Bengals players getting hurt and stuff either, but I mean, it, the point is, is some of this stuff, again, it's not, I, I, so the, the the question we were asking, believe it or not, were the Ravens playing dirty? Were they not playing dirty? Whatever. I don't necessarily think they were playing dirty, but I think there's a lot of stuff that could have been called penalties that were not by other more stringent crews. And I think there's a lot of stuff that flirted with being d- dirty. And the thing that just bothered me about it, and I think it's it, we saw Zach Taylor get heated a couple times. The thing that bothered me about it, John, was more especially when you when you see Jamar Chase getting slammed to the turf the celebration of it by their head coach that's that's kind of what I and it's more like hey that's a that's a hustle play that's a physical play we like that and it's like I I don't think body slams when a guy's in a grasp is really (laughs) how things I don't know I don't know I don't mean to sound like I'm on my moral high horse or anything like that I just I don't know I, I that just didn't sit well with me no, and it shouldn't because it's not sitting well with the players. Like it's very clear that they were upset. That's why more or less we're talking about this. Like we're not just observing this as like what we saw during the game and we're projecting. No, like the Bengals players on defense, on defense specifically, like the, like they didn't hold back because of what happened with the Ravens' offense and what was going on between the whistles with, with all of them. So yeah. it's a team wide thing, and it, it's totally rational for these Bengals players to get upset and. You know, even if they still win, like it's still fine to feel uncomfortable with, with what's happening because it's not right. Yeah, we're going to get to some more news in just a second here. But uh, I mean, I think also to your point there, and I think that's what was referenced in the athletic article by and, and go read that by Jay Morrison and, and Paul Daner Jr. They always do a great job there. Um, it, it, look, I mean, I, I think it was a lot of. I, I, I put up these videos and I think there's a lot of stuff that we didn't see that was occurring, you know, the after the whistle stuff, the in the pile stuff, all the stuff that you didn't see that I think the players are pretty pissed off about. And I think it's also just, you know, um, I, I think some of it was from the defensive players. Was it not? I mean, they were saying that it was the Ravens offense, like you said, that was kind of yeah. giving them jabs or I don't know what else was going on there, but they were pretty upset about it. Yeah. It's a team wide message and identity that they sat out in this game and it's clear that like you know the Bengals probably didn't expect it like they had other things on their mind I'm sure they had thoughts about what the Ravens 
uh, voted on for for the like NFL committee and like what, how everything was going on with that and the fact that they tweeted out like oh we just need th- this loss and this loss and this win and and we then we need a coin flip and then we host the game on what, oh so yeah like, god. Oh, there, god there was already animosity entering this game and then the Ravens again they found a line they identified it they towed it as much as they could they reached across it a couple of times they quickly went back at it like oh no 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 but yeah it's it, it doesn't sit right well regardless this makes and maybe we're stirring the pot a little bit and that's okay but this this is part of what makes this matchup coming up here so intriguing and so passionate between the two teams along with those missed opportunities that we showed you earlier as well, the missed opportunities for points for the Cincinnati Bengals. And then obviously the Baltimore Ravens not having their starting quarterback along with other starters out there too. So this just makes this game very enigmatic and very intriguing in a lot of different ways. And of course it's going to be played on Sunday night. Uh, I believe it's the NBC crew. Is it not John? That's uh, calling that one. Uh, so hopefully the Bengals will win for Chris Collinsworth. Can you give Chris Collinsworth worth a win, please? <laughs> That poor guy, he calls her games all the time on Sunday night, and they never win for him. Speaking of, though, John, what, what, what's going on here? I, I I mean, Lamar now, he missed, what, it's his fifth game, right? He was supposed to maybe miss one or two. And so this is, by the way, on Cincy Jungle. Uh, our, our fearless leader there, Jason Markham, put this one on here. But it, it, my assumption is that he is playing. Um, but – I. You're also hearing all kinds of stuff that, hey, you know, he was supposed to. I, I don't know. Um, I, I, if I'm the Bengals, I would prepare for this game as if Lamar Jackson is playing because I would find it very hard to believe, unless there's a much more severe injury than is being reported, that he would miss this game. But it sounds like there's a big disconnect between he and the team at this point in terms of communication and everything. I don't think he's playing for a couple of reasons. Number one. You don't think he is? I, I don't think he's playing because... Now, again, like I, I don't know for a fact if uh, Tyler Huntley was able to play in this past game, but the fact that like he didn't even play in it, even though he was like questionable and he was a game time decision, it makes oh, me feel I like see. that they were like totally saving him for Sunday. Interesting. Now, maybe that's just maybe that's a precautionary because they're not sure if Lamar can play, and I don't blame him for not being sure about this. But also, the other reason would be if I'm Lamar, like I, I don't see if I haven't played in the five or six previous games leading up to this one, like what, what makes this difference in my, in the grand scheme of, of what my plan is. And that's to make sure that I'm as healthy as possible for a contract. And also if, if he doesn't, pl- the, the less that he plays in general, and that, that includes the playoffs, the less likely the Ravens would want to just hold him hostage with the franchise tag and that he gets a deal that he wants, or he gets interesting, whatever type of type of sign and trade that he wants in order to just either get out of this offense that he doesn't feel like he thrives in or just get away from the organization in general. So obviously a star quarterback suiting up for the playoffs, like you think that's that's what is likely to happen, but this is a very unique situation with a guy that is his own agent and he doesn't have any long-term stability and he may also still be nursing an injury that could be more severe than we're, th- that we're thinking of. So for those reasons, I don't think he's playing, but I have been surprised before and I wouldn't be surprised if I'm surprised again. Good points. Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess I'm just I didn't think to look that deep under the surface like you did, but I you know that makes a lot of sense now that you bring that up. But I, I you know, I, this could still. I mean, they still did a shell game all the way up to basically pregame warmups in terms yeah. of who was going to start. So 
this very well could be the same exact thing for the for the Baltimore Ravens here and, and who they who they trot out there. I just know that without him, and I don't want to, you know, I guess I'll eat crow if it ends up happening, but I mean the, the Ravens without him are having trouble cracking 16, 17 points a game uh on putting up points. So you know, I, I think to have a chance, especially on the road, um, you know, to have a good chance to win this game, they would need Lamar Jackson. But if he's not up to the task because of his health or whatever, he's not up for it. But that is a major, major storyline and talking point right now in the NFL. And I think, you know, some people are saying he's not going to play. Some people are saying he's going to play. And I don't think we will know until very close to kickoff, at least as we sit here a little under a week away. Continuing on here, we just did a uh, believe it or not on the clean game, dirty game by the Baltimore Ravens. Well, I will tell you that their head coach seems to think that they did it all correctly. Uh, John Harbaugh came out and this is on Baltimore beat down the SB nation. Uh, I'll pin that in the live chats for folks, the SB nation site for the Baltimore Ravens. The quote is it's clear. Our players played a clean game against the Bengals. That was the quote. Um, and he uh, apparently did a lot of, uh, he said he did a lot of reviewing, I guess, reflection, all kinds of different things. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, and here's some stuff, uh, from, (laughs) from DJ reader, uh, to Jay Morrison. Uh, there's some shit I don't agree with, uh, by the way, just, uh, he's just a quote machine, DJ reader. I, I love that guy. Um, and then, that same uh, phrase was echoed by Cam Taylor Britt, the rookie. Uh, just know that we owe them. Even though we won, we owe them. Uh, wow. But here's what Harbaugh said. I, I studied the game really closely, obviously. And it's clear our players played a clean game, as they always do. Millions of fans watched the game as well, and they saw the same thing. So I just say, let them be the judges. Um. I, I don't. I, I guess I'm not surprised that this is what Harbaugh would say to defend his team and their actions. But uh, as we just reviewed, I don't. I don't know that I would be that outright or forthright. I, I don't know. I don't. I guess I. I don't know what I would say in his position. But uh, I, I don't think a lot of people are full, in full agreement with him. Nah, he's right. Many millions of people watched it. Let them be the judges. Yeah, we're judging yeah. you, and we and we yeah. say that it was freaking stupid, man. Yeah. Yeah. I. I Okay. Well, let's let's go this. Uh Vegas does not like the Ravens in this one, at least in the opening lines here. And this is on uh Baltimore Beatdown as well. Uh the Ravens are currently underdogs, I guess, to be expected uh in a game like this. And with the questions surrounding Lamar Jackson and whatnot, what is the line right now? The Ravens have a uh, – the Bengals are six-and-a-half-point favorites right now. Uh, 43.5 is the over-under, obviously not between the Ravens' defense and their questions of quarterback, not accounting for a lot of points scored in this one. But uh, the Bengals are six-and-a-half-point favorites at home in the wild card round. That's got to be the, the Lamar line. Like e- Even after last game when the Bengals' offense was not very good, and obviously – the turnovers and I think the fumble recovery for six definitely helped, but they still won by 11 and that was with the third string quarterback out there. So I would assume that six and a half is the Lamar line. And as the week progresses and there's no positive updates, potentially it's probably going to inch further and further away from the Ravens there. Mm-hmm. Well, the season is over for the other two AFC North teams and, um, yeah, you shame. know, believe it, it's such a shame. It is such a shame. 
The Steelers and the Browns once thought to be playing for potentially, I don't know, some something of significance yesterday. Uh, still kind of did a little bit because the Steelers were technically alive, believe it or not. And John Sheeran, Mike Tomlin avoids the dreaded losing season once again. I can't even believe it. That's like an unbelievable streak that he's got going here. But What do you mean you uh, can't this is, believe it? I guess I can believe it. Yeah, I guess I can believe it based on his his history. Uh, but this is just, you know, never never blinking. It's a blog post by Teresa Varley on Steelers.com, and it's kind of talking about some different uh, different quotes and all that kind of stuff about how the Steelers players have responded uh, to Tomlin and, and all the things that he um, that you know he preaches. And here you go. Uh, when he says it, it makes you don't want to have any type of fear, said guard Kevin Dotson. You don't want to blink at anything. You want to be able to go ahead. And I, I know we don't like how the Steelers play football a lot of times. I know that they are bitter, bitter rivals uh, of the Cincinnati Bengals, but Mike Tomlin has the respect of every player in that locker room. And again, I, they, they, them finishing nine and eight with the roster that they had this year, that's a near miracle. Um, I, I mean, I know the Bengals lost to him in that first game and all that kind of stuff. I just felt that they massively overachieved for what their roster had. And I think that does point to the coach. Massive overachievers should be the Steelers new nickname, the Pittsburgh massive <laughs> because that, that's just, that's just what they do. Like they managed to some, to really resuscitate or wow bad word to really um improve kenny pickett's season as as the year went on because kenny pickett was not doing well in the beginning of the year to the point where it's like should they be looking at another quarterback and starting with that Bengals game they got him to play more and more increasingly efficient football despite an offensive line that was really struggling to work together they suffered some injuries here and there Najee Harris was not the efficient running back that he was um you know built out to me in the beginning of the season they traded Trace Claypool in the middle of the season you know interjecting some questions at the receiver room and they managed to just grind out some wins towards the end because that's just what they always do so that's just the expectation with the Steelers it's what they always do although as of earlier this morning um on Monday the 9th Steel, uh, Mike Tomlin not prepared to give status of Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator and other coaches. This may be more of a thing, John, where they may make some ch- uh, change ups and whatnot. This is on behind the steel curtain, by the way, the SB Nation Steelers site. Um, this may be a thing, though, where they may give it another year with uh, kind of attempting to restock the cabinet, so to speak. And obviously, they, they played two different quarterbacks this year. They think they've got something in Kenny Pickett and all kinds of different things. So uh, you know, I think they may just say, you know, let's hold, you know, short leash, but let's let's stand pat with who we have here and, uh, you know, kind of march on into next year, add some more talent. Yeah, like Beng- Bengals fans should want Matt Canada to retain his employment with the, with the Steelers <laughs> because that offense is not, not very difficult to defend. No, no. And finally, with the Cleveland Browns, before we get out of here, just doing a quick rip, whip around with the uh, AFC North. They are now making the rounds with interview requests and all kinds of different stuff. They relieved defensive coordinator Joe Woods of his duties earlier on Monday. And so now they are here's here's one. And that is Brian Flores, who was a defensive assistant, I believe, with uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers after uh, the, the wacky situation in Miami that he endured not too long ago. But 
here's kind of what they're doing so far. And this is on Dogs by Nature, the Cleveland Browns uh, SB Nation site here. They are looking at Brian Flores, not going to do any other major firings. They have requested to interview Gerard Mayo, who is the Patriots, not only former linebacker himself for them, but uh, inside linebackers coach, I suppose, for the uh, Patriots. Uh, they've got all these coaches that have these nuanced positions like Matt Patricia and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, received the request from Titans to interview Glenn Cook for the GM position. Uh, I believe Glenn Cook is a guy who is in the front office with the Cleveland Browns, and now the Titans are looking to potentially bring him in for their vacant GM job. So they're kind of doing some different things uh, with the with the defensive coordinator spot, but they are making changes on that side of the ball. Yeah, Brian Flores would be an interesting fit there. Like It feels like yeah, the Browns would. just have – a lot of talent there and Joe Woods just wasn't maximizing it. Now I, I know some people who write for the Browns that were defendants of Joe Woods saying that, that um, the scheme wasn't necessarily the issue. There's just a lot of under underperforming players on that Browns defense. So I, I don't know the, you know, the intricacies of, of the whole situation. I just know that that Browns defense has potential, obviously with miles Garrett and their cornerbacks and their linebackers, they've, they've all stepped up this se- season. So I, th- I think anyone like a, a Flores' caliber or or d- potentially a D'Amico Ryans or something like that. So, I mean, all that's on the table for them. And I, I would imagine that they're going to shell out some big type of hiring here because they're all in on what they have going on the other side of the ball. And to, to finish this off, um, and we'll get out of here with our final thoughts and all that kind of stuff too, but to finish this off, John... Um, I don't have all the names in front of me and I don't have an article pinned for it, but uh, lazy, lazy ass. That's, that's what I am. Um, there's been a, some coaching carousel stuff going on. Uh, and, and I think this is a week where despite what ha- what happens on Sunday, hopefully a Bengals win, but despite what happens on Sunday, I think we can start to kind of say, Hey, pretty thankful for how the Zach Taylor thing has ended up working out for the Cincinnati Bengals, because I think, really of that 2019 class of new head coaches um, we're, we're looking at only two and that is uh, Lafleur in green Bay and Zach Taylor keeping their jobs. Cliff Kingsbury's gone. Um, obviously we knew Hackett was gone before the year uh, in Denver, a lot of different folks losing their jobs here uh, this, this week. And this is kind of the unfortunate reality of what happens after the final week of the season. But, Zach Taylor, you know, took a little time, but uh, good things sometimes do. And so I think right now the Bengals are in a good spot with who they have in leadership positions. Him being one of them, and especially when you look around the league and seeing teams, you know, kind of cycling through coaches pretty frequently. Yeah, just looking back at that class, like uh, I suppose the one who's not still with his current team but panned out was Bruce Arians because he obviously won a Super Bowl with them. And Tom Brady and everything, so I'm I'm sure the you know the Bucks are satisfied with how that decision uh, worked out, even if it didn't last very long. Freddie Kitchens was another one of oh, that God. cycle, so yeah, a little bit better than the other team in Ohio did, and that's like. But in terms of just the the moves that were I think questioned the most at the time, because there was a lot of obvious uncertainty with bringing in a quarterbacks coach with no uh, extended play calling experience at the NFL level. The fact that Zach Taylor is where he is now just working his way back up to 500 overall as a coach. And I have no doubt that he will eventually get there within the next year or two. It's been nice to see how 
exponential his growth has been. And obviously him and LaFleur from a long-term perspective are going to look like the two best hires here. Yep. That is well said. Let's uh, we've gone a little longer than anticipated, but let's uh, drop the mic and get on out of here for this edition of the aftermath on the orange and black insider. We've got a lot of stuff this week, John, I'm sorry in advance. I'm going to be tapping your expertise and time uh, for a lot of different shows and hopefully we'll have some cool guests and stuff this week, which I'm looking forward to, but uh, final thoughts, my friend, let's drop the mic and get out of here. Yeah, it's going to be a phenomenal week here on OBI. So definitely make sure that you are locked and loaded, subscribed, hit the notifications, join us as a member on YouTube, do all this fun stuff. Thanks for dealing with me last week as I had to bolt out of here with a bloody nose. Like I, I checked the, I checked the, the tape on how that was and you could see like some, some blood was like dripping down my face as before I turned off my camera and then just left Anthony out here to dry. So um, thank you, Anthony, for dealing with that last week. Thank you for dealing with my barely half voice and thank you for dealing with I don't even remember what I said when I left because I almost blacked out to, to avoid getting you know blood all over my my microphone and everything so thank you for dealing with that last week we are back up to 100% now and yeah 100% for the playoffs let's go I love it uh, I just uh yeah man I was just worried about you <laughs> uh that, those things aren't fun man I've I, I told you a uh, sidebar convo man they they can and the, the sucky thing about those things is they can last man they can go 10 minutes 15 minutes and it's like dude and you can't really do anything about it you just got to let it do its thing so i understand i get it no problem and uh hopefully you enjoy the chat we had with james of 410 sports we might be talking with them again this week maybe our buddy justin from engraving vids too i don't know we've got a lot we've got a lot of good options and a limited amount of days to fill it so we got to figure this thing out but uh we're, we're hammering it down and we'll get you a lot of good content i promise again i will say this try not to engage the trolls uh this week i know it's it's fun to kind of go back and forth and stuff but sometimes people say things on social media that just uh they hide behind that profile pic and they try and get under your skin and uh call do the name calling thing and all kinds of things i'm already seeing it on our twitter account too by the way so uh, our, our orange black insider twitter account just from posting videos so don't let it get under your skin and let's just hope the Bengals do things the right way and win on the scoreboard because that is what is important. So thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank you, John, for everything you do for this program. We will be back uh, frequently this week uh, as we hammer out the schedule and everything with everybody else. We'll get you all kinds of different content. Keep it to cincyjungle.com for all your news, opinions, analysis, podcasts, and We'll see you this week a bunch of times, I promise. Good day.